You're listening to Healing Conversations, a podcast full of healing stories for everyone. Brought to you by One Mission, a childhood cancer charity who does whatever it takes to get kids through cancer treatment. To learn more about me, Ashley Hasiotis, visit theunspokenbook.com. And to learn more about One Mission, visit onemission.org. That's O-N-E-M-I-S-S-I-O-N.org. In season one, you'll be introduced to healing techniques for moving trauma out of your body, how to handle the financial toxicity of cancer, and how to find hope. So grab your tea or coffee and settle into the healing vibrations of these stories. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm so happy to have you here with us at One Mission TV. I personally have had the honor of working with Anna, and I'm so excited to have Anna with us today. So without further ado, welcome, Anna, to One Mission TV. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about your practice? Yes. So I am a psychotherapist and coach. I'm based in New York City, and I specialize in working with trauma as well as with chronic pain and other chronic syndromes. And I work from a mind-body approach. Can you tell us what that means? Yes. So that's a really good question. A lot of people throw around this term mind-body, and I think it can mean a lot of different things. Um, But basically what I'm talking about is the connection between our cognitive mind, the place where we do our logical thinking, and our body and nervous system where we also experience emotions and stress and joy and all of those things. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I knew what you meant by that because we've worked together so closely, but that you're right, that term gets thrown around so often. So thank you for clarifying that. I think that will be really helpful for everybody. So Anna, can you tell us, um, you know, for the majority of the viewers that are watching this, they've had a critically ill child. Um, like myself. And I hope that they'll understand a little bit more after this interview about what happens in our bodies when we either witness or experience a big trauma like this. Can you tell us what happens? Yeah. So I'm going to share with you a graphic to help me describe this process. Um, And this comes from the teachings of Peter Levine and the Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute, which is an institute devoted to the study of trauma. And I'm going to share my screen. So this graphic is a representation of our nervous system and how our nervous system responds to extreme stress or trauma. And it starts off with these two dotted lines, which represent something that's called either the range of resilience or the window of tolerance. And what that represents is just basically normal average conditions when stress levels are at a tolerable rate. Okay. And then this wavy line inside represents the motion of our nervous system. So on an average day under average conditions, the state, the energy state of our nervous system, it's not just a steady straight line, but it has these hilly little curves. So we might go from at the beginning of of this drawing, we might go from a slightly energized state where we're feeling energetic and 
we might be feeling even a little anxious, but a tolerable level of anxiety. And then over the course of the day, we might shift downward to a more energy conserving state. We might be resting, we might be digesting, we might be feeling relaxed, we might even be feeling a little down or tired, but within our range of tolerance. And then eventually, gradually, the nervous system shifts back up into a more energized state and down again and so on in these gentle hills. Okay. What happens then when a stressor or a trauma comes in and interrupts this system represented by this like lightning bolt here Mm -hmm. is that it interrupts that gentle modulated rhythm of the nervous system with a big charge of stress energy. And in response, the nervous system usually will shoot up into this highly energized state and it shoots up outside of our window of tolerance into a space where we don't feel comfortable. This is like outside of our capacity of what our nervous system can comfortably deal with. And that heightened energized state might feel like anger. It might feel like the urge to run away. These are different ways that we respond to stress or threat. Mm -hmm. It might feel like high anxiety. It might feel like rage. Mm -hmm. And so, and it might feel like fear, like extreme fear. So the nervous system shoots up into that energized state. It can get stuck there for a while and plateau there in a state of anxiety or fear or anger. But there's only so long that our nervous system can maintain that amount of energy charge. And so eventually it'll usually then crash down into an energy conserving state that is far outside, again, our range of tolerance, outside of what's comfortable. And that might feel like depression. It might feel like fatigue. It might feel like we're just frozen and we can't move or we don't have anything to say. It might feel like sadness. Mm. And so then again, we might get stuck there for a bit. And another thing that could happen is we might find our nervous system ricocheting like this, up and down with this this big charge, this this big energy load that has been inserted into the system. Wow. I mean, I kind of knew that a little bit, but even just seeing that graphic really kind of brings it home because it's almost like I could watch as you were kind of like, you know, putting each line on there. I was like, I could even see in the parts of my journey where that was happening. So wow, that's really that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that, which I think is is might people who are watching this might find it interesting, but then there's also and this is question 2. So is there such thing as moving on from trauma? You know, people use that word time heals. In other words, does everybody really need to heal from trauma or like how does our body go from that graphic to ever again normal or does it not? Yeah, so that's a really great question. And we can think about this like energetically, kind of like in terms of physics. When energy is inserted into a system like this energy from trauma, which is, you know, stress energy, it will stay in that system until it is somehow vented 
out of that system. Okay. And for many people, many people need to use intentional methods of venting that energy. That can be something like therapy. Yeah. It can also take a lot of other forms. Some people find that they can vent that energy without such intentional methods. They might have methods kind of built into their lives, whether it's creative arts that they use as a way of venting that energy and transforming it into something else. Mm -hmm. They might use physical movement, exercise, that kind of thing as a way that they're accustomed to venting that stored energy. But when someone goes through a serious trauma, oftentimes they might find that they need different kinds of support and guidance in finding a way to vent that stored up energy yeah. from their nervous system. That's interesting. But it's got to go out. It can't stay in. Well, we do have ways of keeping it in for a long time, and that feels extremely uncomfortable after mm-hmm. a while. Which is what happened to me and ultimately how I ended up finding you because, you know, for the viewers that, you know, have a sick child, as did I, I kept saying like, got to get to push it down. Yeah. Be grateful he's alive and just keep doing, you know, work harder at one mission, do this, do that. And so it was almost like as if I was running from it. Yes. You know, um, because it, it was like, it's a thing. It's like a part of you, mm-hmm. but I was almost like not, not even really like acknowledging that I would just, you know, I, I just kind of kept running there's no other word for me to describe it. Right. Um, yeah. But then there's people like I've met and through one mission, we've helped families, you know, the dads, like we, we did these boxing events with the dads. Oh, wow. And I don't want to do the whole Mars versus Venus thing, but Typically, men aren't great at expressing themselves, right? And so they were like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing. I didn't know how badly I needed to hit something. Yes. And that's one of the ways that men are socially, women are socially conditioned, generally, you could say, to express feelings through words, whereas men are socially conditioned to express their energy through physical means. So that makes sense. Yeah. So that's really interesting. But I think the important part for me on that, the takeaway on that second question was that there's no need to heal. But if you're feeling called to it because you're uncomfortable, whether that's physically or emotionally, or even just kind of unhappy, I think that's our soul calling us and telling us like, hey, let's do some healing. And then that can take on so many different forms. But ultimately, that energy that came in in the form of trauma does need to be released for the greater good, right? For the person's overall well-being. In order for the person's nervous system to regulate again, to come back into those gentle, hilly curves. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly said. Um, that's, that's great. Okay. So can you give us a couple of examples of, you know, and you kind of touched on it, but like how, what I did, what like the not dealing with it, right? Like mine showed up in the form of chronic, chronic pain and migraines, but can you give us a couple of examples? Like how do your clients show up to you when they um, have not dealt with their trauma? Like what happens? Yeah. So the way you described it is such a, such a great way to describe it because a lot, I think a lot of people will resonate with that description. And 
one way that some people describe the experience of trauma after the fact, like the energy comes from this outside experience, this occurrence, and then it comes into your nervous system. And then the stress energy is inside of you. It's inside of your body. Mm -hmm. Some people in the trauma world describe it as the tiger. It's like the trauma is that the tiger is chasing you. But then after that experience, it's like the tiger is inside of you. That energy is inside of you. And so very common reactions is that when we feel that feeling of the tiger in, so to speak, inside of us, we might try to outrun it, even though it's inside of us, we'll try to get away from it, we'll go to distractions, or we might like go into, you know, workaholic mode. We might try to replace that stress with other stresses to distract ourselves from it. We might try to numb it, you know, whether it's through self-medicating or through other preoccupations. Or another you know, kind of another side of the coin is we might try to avoid it by avoiding anything that would trigger any kind of stress. So we might make our lives really, really small and mm-hmm. just really retreat even from the activities we used to enjoy yep. just to avoid getting triggered by any kind of stress. Yeah, that's interesting. I hope that people watching can f- almost identify with one of those because I feel like that was a really great variety of ways, you know, that you use to be able to explain to people like it's happening, whether or not you're noticing it or not, like the trauma has got to go somewhere. So, so how, how, how are you showing up in this? You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, I think what you said, whether you notice it or not, is really important because not noticing it is one of the, the ways that we might numb ourselves to what's going on. Yeah been there done that yeah definitely um so I remember when I was starting therapy I was you know pretty early on into it realizing that wow I'm making some pretty big changes here but at the time my husband was not and I remember thinking to myself honestly like wow if I continue on this journey of healing and he doesn't like we're gonna end up divorced and I was really fearful of that and honestly I stopped going to therapy because I, well, A, I felt more comfortable in my pain and suffering. And secondly, I was worried about my marriage. Like I couldn't lose that after we'd already gone through what we went through. So I kind of gave up therapy for a while. Can you talk a little bit about that? And how can, you know, a lot, a lot, of, I hear this from a lot of moms, by the way, yeah. so that's really common. And, you know, I, I assume you have some opinion on that, if you wouldn't mind sharing. Yeah, so a few things come to mind. And the first goes back to something we talked about a little bit earlier that not all like therapy is just one way of healing and it's it's something that can be very helpful to many people. It's not the thing that appeals to every person. Mm-hmm. And so there're all kinds of different ways of doing this healing or this releasing of the trauma energy and those might be through therapy, it might be through creative arts, it might be through movement and exercise, um, it might be through spir- spirituality. Mm-hmm. So one partner might find that therapy is right for them, and another partner might find that something different is right for them, that talking to their friends is right for them. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
Yeah, so that's one piece. Um, and then another piece is that quite often there's one partner who feels the discomfort of this trauma energy or this stress energy and has the desire to do something about it, whether through therapy or art or movement or whatever. But one partner feels the discomfort enough and is noticing it enough that they know it needs to come out somehow. Whereas the other partner might feel the discomfort, but it's not enough to get them to want to vent it. And they might feel that it's more comfortable to suppress it. And in that situation, oftentimes the partner who is wanting to express that energy to let it out, to heal, the other partner's suppressing habit becomes very uncomfortable to that healing partner. Right. Right. So for one person, the impetus to heal might come from within, from the discomfort in themselves that they're noticing. And they're like, I don't want to be in this discomfort anymore. I'd rather, you know, allow the feelings to come up and out as scary as that might be. Mm-hmm. For other partners, sometimes they might have like an intervention, you know, their partner might say, I can't deal with you not being there for me emotionally anymore. I can't deal with not knowing what's going on with you emotionally anymore. And so for them, the impetus might be, gosh, I really want to keep my relationship intact. So, you know, that can be what brings them to Mm -hmm. the healing work. Mm-hmm. I love both of that. And the first thing that really resonated with, with me with what you said was, and it's almost like honoring that not everybody has to do it the way that you're doing it. Yeah. Right. Like at first, I remember saying that to Ari, like, you're not doing any of the work. You should go to therapy. You should do this because I'm doing it. And he kept saying, like, just because it's right for you doesn't mean it's right for me. But I didn't even hear him. I, ke- I just kept thinking my way was the right way. So just being able to honor your partner on their journey, I think was key. So I love that, that you said, but I also do know that what the second part is true. And ultimately that's what ends up happening because is if, if your soul is being called to heal, and this is exactly what happened right with me. um, If your soul is being called to heal and you're doing the work, it's okay to express yourself when, and when that time comes to say, I need you to be more emotionally available for me and I'm here to support you on however, how, whatever way it is that you want to get there, but this is what I'm needing now. And I think for our family specifically, like they're just so not used to their own needs, attending to their own needs with a sick child. Everything's about the child. Everything's about the child and then, or, or, and then, or their siblings And so it takes a long time for them to even give themselves permission to even take care of themselves. Like, I mean, like hair and nails, right? Or gym or whatever. And then once they start that journey, it's like that second layer of permission. And it's that second layer of self-care and self-honoring. Like, this is who I am now. And and this is what I want out of all relationships. And I think that when you do that and you speak honestly and, and compassionately and nonviolently, you get heard and your partner hears you. And so, so it's interesting, you know, I guess the answer to the question is no, both partners don't need to heal, but ultimately they, end, they almost end up doing it even in their own way and their own variety. Does that make sense? 
It does. And I think you described it so beautifully, especially that like communicating nonviolently. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's a delicate dance because one partner might have a need for both partners to be communicating and sharing emotions. And the other partner may or may not be ready for that. Right. Even if they want that, they may or may not be ready for that. And so it's a dance back and forth. You know, does one partner have the patience to keep being there? Does the other partner have the fortitude to, in their time, to rise to that, that healing work? Yeah, and I think the ultimate way to get there is honestly through couples therapy. Like I think our own individual therapy is so important, but ultimately if you feel like you want to have those conversations with your partner, um, bringing in that third party is always really helpful if you find the right one. You know, it was really meaningful for, for me and for our marriage. So I was really lucky to find you and I found you through that curable app. And um, I was doing Curable, which is a chronic pain app for those of you who don't know. I was dealing with my migraines and I was on their mailing list and one of Anna's blogs came through and I read her blog and I was like, oh my God, this woman knows me (laughs) and immediately emailed you. And so I was lucky in that way. But I think that the hardest part for people when they realize they need to go to therapy is like, how do you find a good therapist, right? Um, And I know that when you work out of state with people, it's really called coaching, just for the record, for everybody who's watching this. But just generally speaking, like what advice do you give to other, your friends, family, et cetera, on like how to find a good therapist? Yeah, I love that question. And I was thinking about this and there are two things that come to my mind. And the first one is actually really, really simple. And it is asking yourself, do I feel safe with this person? So, you know, there are lots of different ways to find a therapist. A lot of people use psychology today and other directories. And you might find that you need to call a few different people. Most therapists will do like a free 15 minute or 10 minute consultation on the Mm -hmm. phone or on Zoom before you decide to work together. Mm -hmm. And just like shopping around for a partner or shopping around for friends, you might need to meet a few people before you figure out what kind of therapist do I feel good with? And it might be, you know, that might have to do with their training. It Mm -hmm. might have to do with just the tone of their voice, Mm -hmm. the expression on their face. Do I feel safe and at home with this person? And the reason why that is, I would say the number one most important thing in finding a therapist who is a good fit for you is that when we have trapped trauma energy inside of us or you know trapped emotions emotions that were in response to a traumatic event or period of time we have kind of armored ourselves to contain these uh, difficult or scary feelings And in order to be able to vent them or express or release them, we need to be able to take our armor off gradually and slowly and safely. And in order to do that, we need to feel like we're in a safe environment or a safe relationship. Yes, that makes perfect sense. And then the other thing I I would just encourage people to ask 
if the therapist has trauma specific training, because you would actually be surprised or maybe not, but um, uh, trauma specific training is not part of the basic graduate school education for um, social workers or mental health counselors. And I would encourage people to find someone who has trauma specific training. So parents of a, that have a critically ill child still have that going on in the middle of this pandemic. And so it's been extra difficult for so many people, but specifically most of the viewers who are watching and how can they give us a couple tips? I know you have them. Give us a couple tips on like how they can like slow down their nervous system, even just a couple of minutes a day. Yeah. So the more stresses that are on our system, the greater our need is for support and self-care. It's just Mm -hmm. like when you have a cold, you might need to take more vitamins than usual. Mm -hmm. When we have a greater amount of stress, we, there's more care that we need and slowing down our nervous system is one of the ways that we can care for ourselves, soothe ourselves. And there are so many really simple, mindful techniques that we can use. Mm -hmm. For example, there's meditation, Mm -hmm. which used to be like a very foreign concept to most people. But nowadays, there's all kind of apps that you can download on your phone that will teach you in very user-friendly ways how to meditate. There's the Insight Timer. There's the Calm app. There's a whole bunch of other ones. Mm -hmm. Just simply slowing down your breath. And a little twist on that that I find helpful is I take my two fingers with each hand. Yep. Place them on, there's like a bony protruding area behind the ears. Mm -hmm. And I place my fingers there. And when I breathe in, I press in. And then when the out breath comes, I release that pressure. And then when my in-breath arrives, I press in gently again. And when the out-breath arrives, I release. It's just a simple way to connect touch and sensation with the breath Mm -hmm. to bring more presence and awareness to that natural rhythm. When we get up into anxiety, We're usually like spiraling out into the future and trying to anticipate what's going to come next Mm -hmm. or spiraling out into the past and trying to think, how could I have avoided what happened already? And so a very direct and simple way to interrupt that spiraling is to ground ourselves back into the present. And one of the ways of doing that is through noticing our physical sensation, even just like touching ourselves and squeezing our arms can be a way of doing that. Yeah. You um, have done a body scan with me before. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'd love for you to do it with us and I will close my eyes and do it. But but oftentimes you'll tell me to like, you know, push my feet into the floor. Mm -hmm. So like I can feel the, I can feel my connection with it. And then the other thing I learned before you put us through the curable app was in the midst of a crazy panic attack to kind of use all your senses. What do you see right now? What's in the room? 
who's around you, what are you wearing, like locate yourself like in this present moment. And I'd never heard that before. Like, what do I smell? Oh, that's interesting. Because usually, like you said, for me, my anxiety was all about the past. Even if it was a present trigger that was triggering me, I would think it was about the present moment, but my nervous system was clearly in the past. And so when I was smelling things and realizing, okay, well, I'm in this room, the walls are white, the trim is brown, the rug is white, the couch is green, I smell a vanilla candle, like going all that stuff, your body is like, oh, oh, we're not in the past. Oh, we're in the present moment. And even just by grounding yourself that way, you can calm yourself down a little bit. Yes. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that technique of using your senses and sensing what's outside of your body. Because something I've learned just from working with different people is that different things are comforting, soothing, and grounding to different people. So for one person, like going inward and noticing their breath and being in their body might be very grounding and relaxing and soothing. Mm -hmm. For another person, that might freak them out. Right. Focusing on their own body might not be relaxing. And instead, as you're describing, like looking around the room and naming, can I name three objects that I see in the room? That might be more grounding and soothing. Yeah. Yes, definitely. For sure. I mean, we've noticed, and we've talked about it several times throughout this interview, like healing looks different to everybody. And you know, and, and everybody here watching, if they've made it this far through the video, it's because they're dedicated to their journey of healing. And, you know, Anna and I clearly are both inviting you to just find your path. Um, and once you just take for, I say, just take one step, take, take, just take the step. Cause even if you take a left and a right turn, you're making forward progress in your healing journey and you can't mess it up. Yes, just trying. You know, you can't. You get to learn with each step. You get to learn. Does this work for me? Oh, yeah, it does. Or, oh, no, it doesn't. Maybe this other thing works for me. Agreed. Okay, one question that I want you to do the body scan with us. I guess that you kind of already covered this one, but what are the most common questions that you get asked from your patients? So I would say that this question comes in all kinds of different forms, but it all tends to boil down to the one most common question, which is, is what I'm experiencing normal? Oh, interesting. Yeah. And the answer invariably is yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People want to know, like, I'm having heart palpitations. Is this normal? Because when we don't know, or we don't recognize what's going on inside of us, it's unfamiliar, it's new, that can really be frightening not having a context for it, yeah. not having a framework for understanding it can be frightening. And then our fear can escalate into more anxiety. So, ha you know, having someone say, yes, this is something I've experienced too, or I've seen in many of my clients and I've seen people move through this can really help settle people's fear and anxiety just about what they're experiencing. Yep, that's 100% true. And that's exactly what happened to me when I met you. Because I remember even just so terrified about like, how is it possible? Is it totally normal that I have migraines every day? Or like when I stopped getting them and then I started getting them again, you know, and I would say, I don't know why I have a migraine. And then you'd go, okay, well, tell me a little bit about what's been going on this week. And I'd be like, well, this, this, and this. And you'd go, yeah, I mean, makes sense that you have a migraine. Get a lot of big stuff going on. And I'd be like, oh, 
I guess I never really thought about it like that. So even just having that normalcy of knowing that you're not alone and obviously the whole definition of anxiety, right, is the fear of the unknown. So like when you're not communicating and not telling people what's happening for you, it makes those feelings of uh, something's really wrong with me, what I'm going through isn't normal and I'm totally by myself, even more pronounced. So talking about it is key. So that was amazing. Thank you for spending all this time with us today. I think that it was wonderful information. And if anybody wants to try to find you or work with you, do you have openings in your calendar? I don't at present, but people are welcome to get in touch with me. And if they want to find me, my website is annaholtzman.com, A-N-N-A-H-O-L-T-Z-M-A-N. Dot com and be happy to answer any questions. Openings might come up at some point in my in my schedule too. And I will be offering classes at some point soon in the future. So awesome. Yeah. That's a great idea. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well great. Thank you very much. I appreciate it as always. And it's um, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome. Talk soon. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to Healing Conversations, a One Mission podcast. Remember, you're not alone in your healing journey. Many have come before you and many will come after. Everyone has a story. By sharing yours, you heal the world. We're so grateful to our guests for their vulnerability, honesty, and healing vibrations. Cancer can steal a kid's childhood. We help them get it back through programs and activities that foster friendship, fun, and positive distractions from treatment. Whether it's putting on holiday celebrations, providing art and music therapy, or paying for expensive hospital parking, One Mission makes life brighter for children and their families from the moment of diagnosis, through treatment, and beyond. Follow us on Instagram, at One Mission Official, and on Facebook, at One Mission. Join our mailing list at onemission.org to stay up to date on our news and events. If you would like to become a part of this podcast, email us at info at onemission.org. To keep this podcast going, please consider a donation to One Mission that will bring programs and services to kids fighting cancer. Text DONATE to 44321. To learn more about my healing journey with chronic pain, overworking, and collapse into migraines, read my book, The Unspoken, available on Amazon. Thanks to our podcast producer, Michael Harmon. 